Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. And that's Leroy. We are After Wonderland, and you are listening to Concerts That Made Us. Found myself being a contortionist again. Bending and breaking my back to appease your instruction. Sometimes I feel like a marionette puppet. My hands are tied by strings, and I can't control them. Can you and Paul, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. I'm looking forward to diving into your music now, I have to say. So you guys released Stray Jacket on the 15th of August. What can you tell us about it? Uh, so Straight Jacket is sort of an idea that came from an inside joke and it just turned into this weirdly awesome, I think, musical piece that we all sort of put our brains into. There is a there is something about a monkey clapping his hands or something I've heard. Yes. So, um, I, I, well, so I sort of had this inside joke with myself, as one does, uh, when my boyfriend and I just started seeing each other. He would always think I was being philosophical when I was looking into the distance and be like, oh, what's on your mind? And, you know, like sometimes you're actually just looking off into the distance. So my inside joke was, oh, no, there's just a monkey in there clapping his little hands away 
And at some point, I thought that would be really funny to write into a song. And when I started with the sort of lyrical ideas for Straight Jackets, where I, I wanted to sort of talk about, you know, not being this like puppet on strings and like you know conforming to society or doing what you think other people want you to do it just I think worked itself into the song in a really cool kind of way right right and you know what was the recording process like then you went back to some original live recordings and added new parts I believe well, you know, we're lucky enough that um, we had a, we have a good or have let me say a good friend that has like a nice studio for pre-production ideas. You know, so we'd taken some things in there before that we try to get some ideas going and and see what we can what we can make from them. So we essentially started with that pre-production idea, and then when we decided that that was going to be a single that we were going to release, we then obviously went to like a more fully fleshed studio. Let me say. And some of the tracks that we had made in the pre-production ideas uh, landed up being permanent fixtures in the in the properly produced song, if I can say it like that. Yeah, it's cool. There's actually a little snippet of us all clapping our hands. Yeah, in fact, in there. I think my whole bass part was actually still just the pre-production idea that was just dropped into the the real thing, you know. So yeah, it was cool to see something that started as an idea end up as a fully fledged product without having too much overthinking you know i think we sometimes lose lose something along the way in the in the overthinking if you could make that happen for every release now you'd be you know in heaven yeah and actually that is part of our idea moving forward with our with our releases you know the idea is to go to this pre-production studio where there's time and uh like a safe space to be creative you know and not judge yourself or your band members too harshly and then when we finally take that to the proper studio, you know, hopefully see what carries over. And I think the more that carries over, the more honest the release is, if that makes sense. True, true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, typically when you guys are working on new music, then what does that look like? Is this a totally collaborative effort or do one of you guys like handle the lyrics and bring it to the rest? I think I would like to say it's almost fully collaborative because I think... I'm lucky in the sense that um, I, I'm with, you know, these other musicians that have these really cool parts that they bring to the band that fit in with lyrics that I've already had, you know, sitting in a backlog of lyrics that I just have sitting somewhere with something that I need to do something with. Uh, so I think we all, you know, bring something forward where it starts off as like one sort of weak thing but like together they all become stronger and better so it's a really cool creative space i think for all of us greater than the sum of their parts is the saying that i am fond of i like it. you know and um for me who joined the band like a little bit after things have, had gotten going you know like rixie had already written some songs and she wanted to do something with these songs so for me as a as a member who joined later you know i was joining and these songs were already written and from there you know we kind of added our our bits to these existing songs and that was like a good platform to get us started but i think as we go further past the songs that were pre-ideated let me say um as we go further past those songs they become more and more collaborative with every release so i think it's a it's a learning curve well, some parts are better than others Exactly, exactly. Your parts are the weakest. Thank you for agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to let the listeners know the, the history of the band, the short history, I suppose. It's only been since 2021, but what's the story behind the band? How did you guys all come together? Um, Paul, do you want to answer that question? I can give my spin on it, sure. So I, um, I never knew, I knew Leroy for a long time from music shops and fellow bands and just the general music scene. And Rixie I'd never known, but I actually played with a band that had her, what's Lisa to you, your aunt? Sister-in-law. Sister-in-law, okay, yeah. So I, my previous band, well, my other band, played with Rixie's sister-in-law's band. So it's quite a small, strange little scene. Incestuous. Yeah, very incestuous, yeah. But, uh, I'm not sure if you guys spoke about our drummer or anything like that yet. Nothing. No, okay. 
So a guy called Mark is a drummer, and he came to me and said, there's this girl that was living in America. She's written some songs. It's locked down. Do you want to just come and listen to them and maybe play along? I was like, oh, it's going to be terrible, but sure, why not? <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> yeah, I was right. But yeah, I got there and met Rixie and a couple of other people that were involved there. And from the very beginning, I was like, yes, Leroy would be a great bass player, but he's too busy. He's too good. He'll never join us. And then after one or two bass players kind of came and went, one night we were after practice, we were like, let's just phone Leroy and ask him. He was like, yeah, cool, I'll come around. And then uh, he came around and never left. Sorry, my life. <laughs> <laughs> he left on like a, like a tick or something. It's beautiful. When it comes to your music then going forward, what do you hope people get from it? Is there an underlying message that you, you'd like to convey? I think the most important thing for me is that everyone can sort of take their own sort of ideas from the songs. Um, I think all of us are on the same page when we don't want anything to ever really be too specific, that not everyone can relate to it. So, I mean, if one person can listen to our song and be like, oh, you know, that makes me think of this one thing that happened to me or this one feeling that I once had and it makes them, you know, resonate with the song more and love the song and appreciate it more, I think that's probably something that we all want people to take from the music itself. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I get you. And I suppose at this stage, we'll give the listeners a, a sense of where you guys come from musically. So it's a bit of a tricky one now, but if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory? Yeah, well, I can remember being, I must've been eight or nine or something. That's like so 1923. in the distant mists of time (laughs) I I was sitting at home with my dad my mom had gone out my dad was sitting listening to vinyls and I can't even remember what he he listened to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and all that 70s kind of stuff but I remember his record player caught fire (laughs) (laughs) my mom got home she's like what have you boys been doing (laughs) but that's yeah that's a you know, it's not specifically musical or anything, but I just remember that. I can remember that scene so clearly. Strangely it's a pretty enough. cool one, I have to say. Yeah. I think my youngest memory is sort of my dad pulling out tapes and putting them into, you know, that old school car where they still used to take the tape player. And also, like, Deep Purple and Pink Floyd were very big influences when I was younger because they were kind of forced down my ears by my father. Um, I would say that, um, like myself and my best friend since childhood, you know, we made friends since we were like three years old without exaggerating. And we always had this thing for music and, you know, like, um, dealing with a lot of youngsters as I do in my music teaching thing, you know, often you ask kids what they like about music and sometimes they struggle to come up with the name of a song or two that they like. And for us, as long as I can remember, you know, we were always remembering the lyrics to the songs and, oh, listen to this cool part and listen to what the drums are doing. And that was long before we even knew how to play an instrument. And I think that just stuck, you know, and it was this idea of, I don't know what kind of magic they're doing, but I know that I want to be a part of it. If you had to think back now, is there a moment or what moment would you say sparked the desire to become a musician for you guys? I like have a completely big vivid memory of what sparked me wanting to be a musician I think um I was still quite young in high school must have been a year ago 15 (laughs) (laughs) and um my dad used to play these open mic nights sort of things where a whole bunch of you know these old musicians that used to be in these bands didn't play in these bands anymore so they all used to get together on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday And it was school holidays for me. And my dad was like, well, why don't you come along and come listen to some of the music? And one of my friends from high school and I, we went with, and we weren't allowed into the actual bar itself. But so we sat outside and listened to the music. But I remember just enjoying the atmosphere and the vibe and like the rawness of the sound of everything. So it was very much like a band practice. And just thinking to myself, I want to do this. I want to play an instrument. I want to create things. I want to be that person that was sitting behind the drum kits and I mean, my friend and I went home that night and we were like, okay, cool, game plan. Let's start writing songs and let's form a band. So I think, yeah, for me, it was like 15 years old. Yeah, I was in high school 
and the 90s started. So it was just Nirvana, Pearl Jam, like Guns N' Roses, all that sort of stuff was just suddenly on my radar. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I'd never been interested in music much in my younger days. And then I saw Slash's real name was Saul Hudson. And I was like, that sounds very similar to Paul Hodgson. I was like, it's a sign. (laughs) (laughs) It was the same thing. Me and a couple of friends were like, you're going to play drums and you're going to play guitar and you're going to sing. None of us had an instrument or a clue, but also all the plans were there. You know, that band never, ever happened, but all the dreams were there. You know, and you're going to learn to play lead guitar like this and that. And, yeah. <laughs> but it's just that dream. It's just so exciting. You're like, there's this stuff out there and you can do it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's great. I also want to add to that quick as well. Yeah, same thing, you know, also 15 or 16 and, um, some of my friends had decided that they were going to be in a band and they could all play the instruments already. And they were like, we need a bass player. And I was like, I'll do it. And they were like, do you know how to play bass? And I was like, no. <laughs> and yeah, that's the thing, you know. So I rocked up there. I had to borrow instruments. I didn't have an instrument. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was in a band. And I'd literally never played before. So you kind of learn quick on your toes. Yeah, you kind of have to when you're in that scenario, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the music was horrible. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, I definitely would never want anyone to hear it. But um like Paul said, you know, it sparked that thing that said, like, let's do it. I suppose we better get on to concerts. It is concerts that made us after all. So as a concert goer, what concerts would you say have made you? Um, I was lucky enough that obviously, I mean, obviously at this point, you know, that we're from South Africa and um, we've had our fair share of international acts at some point, but there was a time that there weren't many of those. And um I was also lucky enough to live in America for a bit. And in that time, you know, every time I turned around, one of my favorite bands would be playing five minutes down the road. And I was just lucky enough to see, you know, 90% of the bands that I idolized as a kid. So, you know, I think big concerts that I went to that were cool were I saw ACDC at one point that I was like front row. And that was very rewarding let me say i mean that's it doesn't get much bigger than that it was a giant football stadium and hundred thousand people and to be so close that your ears are bleeding you know that's one of the many that i've attended like that since then i've seen them as well and they're i always say they're in the top two the other one for me is metallica but acdc it's one i'll remember for the rest of my days yeah it was a show indeed yeah i did see metallica in fact paul played a show um where his other band was on the lineup with Metallica as well. Hey, Paul, am I wrong? Yeah, so I've actually been pretty lucky to to have toured the world, basically, and and played with amazing bands. But Metallica came to South Africa, and all all the local bands were lined up opening for them and doing that stuff. And then someone came to us and said, you can either play at 1 o'clock in the afternoon or 12 in the afternoon or whatever, when everyone's still coming into the stadium, or you can play after Metallica. And we were like, we'll take, <laughs> we'll play after Metallica. And everyone's like, you're mad. No one's going to stick around. That's who's gonna... Yeah. Yeah. They're like, who's going to watch the band after Metallica? That's so dumb. And our band at that point had a bit of a hit on radio. So there was a bit of a buzz and stuff. And then, but we got such great press from it. We got more press from doing that than if we had played right in the beginning of the day. And we got to do three shows with Metallica. So I mean, I watched Metallica from backstage for three nights in a row. Sat with a monitor engineer, met the band briefly. So it was, yeah, it was quite an experience. It was actually really, really cool. And and when we played after them, some people did stay. I mean, forty thousand people were in the stadium, like you know, thirty five thousand two hundred and three left, and the rest stayed. So it was still <laughs> still great, you know. Yeah. But we also yeah. toured with um, Snow Patrol, who I never really, I wasn't a big fan, but we got this tour with them, and they also playing big stadiums. And they were just the nicest guys, and they put on the most mind-blowing show. It was just like, a, like an emotional experience. Them and Coldplay, it's just like you watch it, and you're just like stunned by like what this music does to this massive crowd of people. It was just like, yeah, it was, yeah, you don't even know how to compare it to anything, you know? But then you go see a band down the road in a, in a little pub, and it's as amazing. You know, it doesn't have to always be huge crowds and huge things. You can be as emotionally impacted by small small little band in some club somewhere. True, true. Beautifully said. Mm. Oh, thank you. And Muse, I must say, we saw Muse also in South Africa. To also just like stunned everyone into silence. It was just like, what is this? <laughs> Mind-blowing. It's crazy how good they were, yeah. 
I think one of my favorite live performances that I ever got to see, I was just getting onto the cusp of like getting into my own music that I found on my own. And I just discovered a band called Buffy Clyro. They're from Scotland. And um, they came to South Africa with a festival called Ramfest. And um, I was also like waited the whole day right at the front of the stage to watch their performance. And that was also one of the most mind-blowing performances for me, just, you know, learning all these songs and falling so in love with them and then just watching them on stage. Just such a powerhouse. It was amazing. I think I cried. That singer's so good looking as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it makes you question your sexuality. (laughs) We actually thought Buffy Clara as well um, with Stereophonics. That was also both of them were amazing. Amazing. Oh, Stereophonics, that's another great band. Yeah. And both quite raw. I mean, Buffy Clara quite raw. There's not a lot of, well, when we saw them, not a huge yeah, production. Yeah, they were, they're amazing. That's why what I loved so much about the performance. Yeah, I was just going to say that's the total appeal with Biffy Clara is that they're so raw. It's not overproduced, overpolished. Yeah, it's amazing. And it sounds almost as identical as it does, you know, on a CD or on your phone these days. But, yeah. Uh, it was amazing. And you've got to love horns in rock music. Yes. <laughs> love what? Horns. Like a trumpet oh, and saxophone. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, horns. Yeah, like a brass section. Not like literal horns coming out of the head. No. <laughs> well, that's up to you for interpretation. <laughs> and Paul, one for you now. Obviously, you're very well known from Parlet Horns. I'd love to know, you know, obviously, when you join another band or start another band people think of the benefits it brings being so well known but is there any disadvantages that it brings to a new band with you being so well known from another band that's actually a very good question hey um i suppose yeah i don't i haven't actually really thought about that i mean obviously with with polytones it can be quite polarizing we were very very popular but obviously it brings a certain elements of people who don't like you because you've sold out or you're too successful or your music's not edgy enough, whatever. So I think that could kind of carry over with you. If someone might look at the Vanguard Arts, just that guy from Parlotans, you know, that can almost ride off your new band without even giving it a chance. So I think your, your reputation could go either way. But um, I think also what, like, what's hard for me is just thinking about starting it all again. You know, you're just like, sure. It was 20 years of a long, long, long road. And now you're going, okay, let's let's start all that again. <laughs> but it's exciting. It's, and you hopefully you're going to avoid the pitfalls and the mistakes you made along the way with the previous guys. And uh, I mean, our polytones is still going. It hasn't stopped. But um, yeah, I didn't, I don't, yeah, it's actually a very good question. I'll have to think a little bit more if anything else pops up. Okay, okay. And I'm really looking forward to this part now. For any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what can they expect? Lay it all out for them if you can. Well, you can expect Leroy making a lot of jokes on stage. (laughs) I never would have guessed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, you know, we do want to have a somewhat produced sound to it. We want to have backtracks. We want to have cool things behind so that people can get a cool experience that isn't just, you know, us standing with our guitars in our hands and drumsticks and um, we want them to get a cool, full experience. But I think what they really are going to see is like the love that we have for the music and, you know, how raw and real the actual sound is going to be with what we're playing and how much fun we're going to be having while we're on stage. Right. right. Any uh, guys, anything else to add to that? Um, I don't know. I think Rixi put the nail on the head, you know. The goal is to try and do something that sounds like um, both authentic and um, relatable, you know, while at the same time still being some kind of show. But we've actually, we've been without a drummer for a bit and um, we are literally, we've booked our first show in like a year in the next week. So it's also exciting for us. We don't really know what to expect from ourselves yet, you know, um, but we're looking forward to growing into the space that we're envisioning. It's funny you should say that, actually. That's one thing I keep finding out over and over again, that especially in South Africa, drummers are like hen's teeth. They are so difficult to come by. And they all play for everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's like one drummer plays for like 12 different bands. Exactly. In fact, the drummer that we've got now is, is notorious for that. I mean, everyone wants to play guitar, everyone wants to sing, everyone wants to be the front, you know, the, the center of attention. So I think not many people gravitate to drum. Yeah. And finding a new member is also tricky, you know, because you want them to be a good musician. Obviously, that's up there. You wouldn't be having the conversation with them if they weren't able to meet those standards in the first place. But even more than that, you have to get on with them as a person, you know, especially if you're, if you're envisioning this like a path together, you know. It's not enough to just be good at your instrument. That's already a given. Yeah, it's the personality as well. Yeah, and that's the hard part. Lots of people can do lots of things, but not everyone's nice. <laughs> true, true. And then something that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, musicians, especially exceptional musicians, is egos. So that kind of makes it even tougher, I suppose. Exactly. Especially, you know, for me, the two people that I'm playing with currently, you know, they're both super egotistical. You know, you can't get it from the recording, but they're horrible people. <laughs> Don't let their nice uh, phone demeanor fool you. It's just an act, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually the most humble person I know. Definitely the most humble person. I think I'm more humble. Well, you think you are, but you're wrong, because I'm actually out humbling you right now. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> you know, guys, I have kind to... of you could expect on stage. I was just yeah. going to say, if the music doesn't work out, like you could just become comedian, seriously, and do stand-up. <laughs> and it's quite funny because like Rixie's music's quite serious. Like her, like what she sings about mostly is, is pretty, you know, well thought out and well said and quite deep. But then we just go off on these random tangents of the worst jokes you could possibly imagine. Right. And back to your shows then, is there a is there a performance that sticks in your mind as maybe the most perfect one you've had or the most memorable? There was that one show where none of us made many mistakes. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one, yeah. <laughs> Considering we're like three or four shows into our releases, you know, I don't think we've had enough time to get there, but hopefully... You know, um, if we can release some music that can get people to be in the seats, then hopefully these are memories that we can still make, you know. I think my favorite show probably would have been our first one because we all sort of figured out how each of us was on stage. And it's a it's a really cool thing to play with someone in a music room, but you don't really see what someone's going to be like on stage because, I mean, there's only so much room that you have in like a tight little band practice room so when you're actually on a stage and there's rooms jump around and be crazy or be weird or be silly or make weird jokes you really get to see that side come out of a lot of people and I think one of my biggest conspiracy theories is that like 80% of musicians are introverts so you would not even believe that if you saw them on stage but when you speak to them one-on-one -on -one, they're actually quite you know awkward and geeky and nerdy and they like love these weird things that's why we've all honed on these you know, instruments because we were geeky in our room. So it's sometimes just amazing to see this other personality come out of someone on stage. So I think our first gig was my favorite just to see that. It was a good one. Yeah, it was. And it's nice. It was nice to, to have written these songs and gone through these band member changes and finally to get on stage and actually play them for quite a big, nice sized crowd as well as a full room. And just yeah, hear it in hear it at full volume and just feel the music and feel the energy. It was yeah, it was a good one. Sounds like a probably almost perfect actually. Sounds like a nice one. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, except for how except for our playing, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd have some sort of smart answer. <laughs> and sometimes like a false start or someone making a mistake, whatever, it just brings a little bit of a, a human element to a show and everyone has a laugh and the crowd kind of warms up a little to sort of the humanity of it. You know, it doesn't have to be a flawless, perfect show from beginning to end to have some sort of charm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I always say you have to have the good with the bad. So for this one now, you can use any gig throughout your entire careers. But is there one that sticks out as the worst and how did you deal with it? Oh, I... That's a tough one. I mean, uh, if I just think back to some of the harmonies I attempted to sing, you know, like uh, then all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I mean, like you just said, you got to take the good with the bad. And I like what Paul said about the human element, you know, and is this pressure to put on this perfect performance. But 
I think that now more than ever, you know, um, especially with the evolution of music, I think now more than ever people want to resonate with with the people that they're watching, you know, and it's one thing to look up at a band and idolize their performance and be like, oh, that was flawless and so super tight, but it's a whole different level to look at them and be like, yeah, so they made a mistake or two. They're just people just like the rest of us and they're trying to do this thing, you know, and um, I think there's something to be said for being able to make a mistake and take it on the chin and still be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah, we did a Parlotone show because we started using tracks at, at, at one point because all our albums had string sections and synths and choirs and all the stuff. And we're like, this would be so cool in the show. So let's make back tracks and click tracks and play along to it. And we were on tour in Germany and it worked perfectly. It was like every show went perfect and it was building up to this big show in Berlin where like record people were coming and industry and journey and this whole thing. It was a sold out crowd and they moved it to a bigger room and this was just the the expectation was through the roof. And then, of course, that night, there's this thing in Ableton called Warp, where I don't know what it does, but it makes the music slow down and speed up. I don't know what it does. But that thing switched on, and our backtracks were just stopping and starting and speeding up and out of sync. And our drummer, we couldn't fix it. We didn't know what was going on. So every show, like every song was just a disaster. And we walked off stage, switched the laptop off, just came back on, and we said, we're going to start this all again. And we just and we just played with with no tracks or anything and it was it turned out to be cool but i mean like like what a nightmare you know you're trying to impress these people and they've come to see this big new band and blah blah, blah and you just look like a bunch of fools because you can't get your laptop to play <laughs> yeah yeah they're like oh well they're just playing to backtracks and their backtracks don't work and they don't know what to do so we just said you know it's start the whole show again and we're just going to play raw and live and yeah so it was a that, I mean, that's something you remember for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine. Sounds like something that had hap- that had happened to Motley Crue or something nowadays. And you know, when it comes to when it comes to showtime, then do you guys? I suppose maybe you don't yet, but do you guys have a ritual, a pre-show ritual, and a post-show ritual? You know, how do you psych yourself up and how do you wind down afterwards? I mean, I can't think of anything more scary than playing like Stone Cold Sober. I know that's the new rock and roll thing, but. Um... I mean, you you at least want a shot of tequila or something like that to take the edge off, you know, so that's maybe pre-game. And then post-game is when you realize that you maybe had one too many before you started. So <laughs> regret. Pre-game tequila, post-game regret. <laughs> There's a bit of a fine line. Like you need one or two drinks just to, you know, like you said, take the edge off. But if it, if it goes too much, then it's also not great. And of course, I think after a show, it's, it's not the time to dissect what went wrong and who did what and like, address the mistakes the next day you know i don't think that when you come off stage and maybe something went wrong or someone made a mistake or whatever it's don't address it then it was you, you know, paul it was you <laughs> i can never get that one intro right i know how to count to yeah three. exactly we have one intro that he always does i don't know why we'll get there <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll put it in the background <laughs> and you know it's a big commitment being in a band. How do you guys balance your personal lives with the demands of being in a band? I think we're all fortunate enough that we have partners that are really understanding. Um, we all have our own lives and, you know, it's first priority to be with your family. But I think we all have loving and supportive partners that are understanding that if we do need to spend, you know, a couple of nights away, they aren't going to hold it as against us. So it's just, it's just finding the balance of, you know, when we need to be practicing, we make the time to practice, but also if there's family stuff that needs to happen, then that takes first priority. Yeah. And you know, your music then I'm sure it very rarely happens now, but how would you handle criticism or negative feedback? Just don't listen to them. They're haters. I I love criticism because I I think, you know, everything is flawed. Everything can be better. So I think, you know, you've got to take everything with a pinch of salt being creative as well, because not everyone is going to like it. But I think it's good to hear out why people don't like it, because, you know, maybe there's something that you can improve on if you listen to what the people are saying. Oh, this is if you listen to it and there's actually some value to what they're saying. Sometimes it can help you improve your art and your skill. Yeah, and I think if you're in a position that you ever think you have nothing 
new to learn or know where to grow, you know, then you've already lost. You know, you should never lose that willingness to evolve or learn. You know, all criticism is constructive criticism, even if it's not put in the right way. Mm. True, true, yeah. And as a band, then, how would you guys like to evolve? You know, what would After Wonderland be like in, say, five years' time? Now we're all going to be silent because we're trying not to think so far ahead. I don't know. I think um, better production, you know, better songwriting. I think better everything. And, yeah, that goes back to what I was saying. Like, there has to be room for improvement, you know. Um, I would like to see a more varied um, approach to the tone of the songs, you know, which is something that we have already with our next release that we have planned. You know, it's kind of from left field, you know, so it's really... It's really different. And I like the idea of not being stuck in one kind of sound. And I think one of the best things that we have going for us is that um, there is space for our songs to have different tones and personalities. And I think not all bands have that same benefit. You know, some bands are kind of locked into what they're releasing and they're scared that if they don't release something that sounds like what people are going to expect from them, then they're going to take a step in the wrong direction. Whereas for us, I feel like, Every step is the right direction as long as we're taking steps. So it's a good one. I like it. And consistent growth. You know, I think if each song is a little better than the next, a little bit better recorded, you know, each show, a few more people, better performance, just like a consistent, steady growth. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's manageable. Yeah, you can take each step in its stride. You know, you're not suddenly going from, 20 people to 20,000 people you completely because as you as it goes you get better at all those little steps you know you're not suddenly thrown into the deep end yeah I would love it if in five years time we sounded like we had 10 years experience mm, that's good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it is actually and you know what's your views on the the state of the music industry then you know with so many changes after coming in recent years and now stuff like AI starting to creep into the music industry what's your views on it um I like the fact that um I like this whole idea of releasing singles you know which is different from the past you know I think in the past there's been a lot of pressure on releasing good albums and I think the way that people consume music right now makes a single almost more attractive than an album, you know, and I think there's freedom in that, you know, you're not locked into 10 songs that are trying to fit together. You know, you can take a step and try and release something new. And if it doesn't work, you can just change your path for your next single. But when you release an album, you know, you're 10 songs in a direct, in a direction already, you know, you don't get to take one step at a time. So as much as um, we all love albums that have some element of cohesion, there is a certain aspect of freedom that comes from releasing singles. And um, I don't know, like AI, that's great. I think that people shouldn't look at it as this um, all-consuming factor. It's just another tool at our disposal. You know, people had the same thing when when we spoke about running tracks with a live show, but Queen ran tracks with their live show in the 70s already, and MIDI changed so, certain things in the 80s, you know, pre-programmed sounds and that sort of thing. And every time there's this evolution, you know, there's always people that are saying, oh, this evolution is going to take away from what uh, what an artist can create. But it's not true. It just It's just another tool in the toolbox. You know, it's not going to replace us. It's just going to be one more thing that we have at our disposal. True, yeah, yeah. And just back to the, the releasing singles then, you said, would you feel like there's an awful lot more pressure then on an artist these days to constantly be releasing something new? And would you be afraid of getting into the cycle of just endless single after single after single i think the idea of being pressured to be releasing music is actually quite exciting because it sort of puts a fire underneath you you know where you feel like i have to do this thing i have to be creative and i mean you never really like have to do anything but you know to just have that sort of like outside pressure to try to create more I enjoy that pressure. I work better when I'm under pressure like that. So I personally, you know, enjoy the pressure that we've almost put on ourselves to be trying to release more than one single a year. And, you know, eventually at some stage, maybe it'll be a single every three months and then an album once a year, you know, when we have the facilities to do so. But um, I, I enjoy the pressure personally. Exactly. 
I don't do anything until the last minute anyway. So the quicker that <laughs> last minute pressure comes around, the more inspired I am. Right. right. And Paul, as the elder statesman of the band, then how do you feel about it? <laughs> he said it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, and it's, I think also when you're recording an album, you're stretching your creativity and your energy over this big project, you know, and it's like, okay, well, this song, you ran out of time, wrap it up, move on to the next one. And, you know, maybe you're not finished with it. You know, you, later you think, oh, we should have done this with that song. And but it's like, okay, we've got to finish the next one, finish the next one. <laughs> Whereas if you focusing on one, doing everything as best you can, and then going, cool, it's done. Put it aside. Okay, now the next song we're going to bring in nylon string guitars and whatever. Let's, you can focus on the next thing and do that as well as you can. And it's an album itself, as much as I miss it, I think it's not really a format that most people listen to. Everyone's just making Spotify playlists and streaming things of YouTube and watching it on their phone and whatever. It's, I mean, the art of the album was like making each song flow into the next with little sound things but that that's i don't know if that'll ever come back as much as i miss it but i like it i mean i like doing one song at a time but then maybe you could always i mean i know like the smiths and everyone used to release a bunch of singles and then compile them into an album at some point so you could always do the same thing at some point you go like well these 10 songs can now be compiled as an album with one new song we've written or something, something like that. That's, and that's what's actually nice. You can actually just do whatever you want. You know, with music, there's no rules. It's not like a sports game where you can't just bring an extra player on in the Soccer World Cup or something. Like with music, no one can tell you what to do. You do whatever you want. Yeah, the opportunities are endless. The more rules you break, the better it actually is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everybody loves a bit of rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> that's why um, we all became musicians so we could rebel <laughs> <laughs> I like it and I suppose before we dive into the last couple of questions then future plans that are set in stone any gigs music anything you can tell us that's on the on the horizon um, I think with us just finding a drummer now literally a week ago so tomorrow's our second rehearsal with him. So, you know, live shows are up there. You know, we've been focusing on trying to come up with good material that gives us like a release plan, as it were. But, um, yeah, it's exciting to have a full-fledged band again and try and get into this show aspect. But I'd say the only thing that's set in stone is try and get a fully-fledged live show in place, which is what we're currently working on, and then try and not lose momentum with the releases, you know, try and keep them keep them coming and stay relevant, I guess. I think we definitely will have a third release out before the end of the year. Definitely. And um, the one gig that we definitely have set in stone right now is um, actually next week, Friday, which we're all really nervous about, but also very excited for. Um, so We kind of said yes to the gig before we actually had another member, but that comes back to that idea of... Um, you know, pressure and lighting the fire. You know, if we if we kept delaying it and saying we'll one day we'll get this other member and we'll get a show together, then I don't know if it would happen. But agreeing to play a show and then being like, okay, well now we don't have a choice. We have to make it happen. That's that fire under your butt that you want lit. I'll definitely be putting new strings on my guitar. That's my <laughs> <laughs> about two and a half years. So they like. Covered in rust, and yeah, I'll get tetanus if I pick up that thing again. <laughs> right, right. We'll uh, we'll dive into the last few. So, as I mentioned at the start, these are a couple of random, odd music questions, but I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see your answers. So, if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? The living ones, the alive ones, the dead ones, they're not going to put on much of a show. So, you know, <laughs> any artist alive or dead, I choose alive. Uh, I, thought you, I thought there was a band called The Living Ones. And that's so the did ones I. Listening. I was like, why haven't I heard of them? <laughs> I haven't heard of them before. <laughs> I think I'd love to see Wilco. Yeah. That's a good one. Wilco, Wilco I, Radio. I'd love so. to see Nothing But Thieves. That's a good one. Mm, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. And the uh, the living ones for you, Leroy. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. I don't know, you know, I have um, eclectic taste. My playlist kind of jumps around, you know. So whenever someone puts pressure to, like, name an artist or whatever, I feel kind of hard done by because I couldn't imagine life with 
without any of them, you know, and there's not one specific one. I like I like them all. I like the flavor that variety brings. Bring me the rosin. Yeah, okay, bring me the rosin. I'll take my answer back. Bring me the rosin. That's who I'm going to see. <laughs> right, right. Well, if that's how you feel, you're really going to hate this next question then. If you <laughs> had to be, if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be? Oh, David Grohl for me. Right, right. I feel like you would have so many cool stories. Definitely. That's a good one. Paul, what are you saying? Give me time to think here, bro. Sure, I must have my brain spinning. I'm trying to think uh, who would be interesting or in- entertaining. Who looks like a lot of fun? Actually, I, I watched it. Yeah, I watched the the music video for Cannonball, you know, the song by the Breeders last night for the first yes. time. I'd never seen the music video. And Kim Deal just looks like such fun. She looks like such a jewel. So maybe I'll just say Kim Deal for now. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know, you know, for me, like there's kind of uh, two different aspects here. Like on the one hand, you could pick like a virtuous musician in your instrument you know because obviously that gives you an opportunity to learn Mm. but i guess you know the thing for me has always been like the the instrument has always just been a tool to get a song across you know so as much as i'd love to say some fancy victor wooten bass player or some crazy stuff like that for the for the sake of learning you know and enhancing your skill i think i would be even more interested to sit with someone who was notorious for writing good songs like if i what about someone like max martin does he count as a musician yeah you know because that's not someone i don't know of him as like a an instrumentalist per se but what he can add to your songwriting skills yeah i'd say maybe max martin i like that idea good one thinking outside the box i like it and the final one so now this is almost impossible so i've been told anyway but what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life Oh, I already know mine. Mine would be that um, I'm gonna take your mama out on my own. <laughs> yes. Very That's upbeat. A good one. I like it. Yeah, very good. I don't know. I'd maybe say something like um, maybe something from The Offspring, believe it or not, like um, The Meaning of Life from The Offspring. I know that's a random one. Or Smash. You know, that's Rebellion at its finest. Yeah, yeah, true. True. Good ones. I'll take something from Manchester Orchestra. Maybe Simple Ooh. Math. Ooh, Simple yeah, Math. Not, yes, that's the not, song. Not for that's any like, song. lyrical specific sentiment, just because the song is like perfect. One of the greatest, yeah. I have to agree yeah. on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in fact, Paul got me on that song, and it's one of the best I've ever heard. It's up there. Oh, no, wait, maybe Rixie. Oh. I don't know. They're both Manchester Orchestra that's, fans. I don't know what to say. They, they hounded me. Back to that question about one of the best concerts you've ever seen, I saw... Manchester Orchestra on the beach on Pensacola, uh, yeah, on Pensacola Beach in Florida, and it was also sure, so good. My I wish I'd known them better when I saw them. <laughs> oh man! Right, guys, it's been an absolute blast. Now, thanks for giving us some insights into your music, and uh, personally, I can't wait to see where you go next. Thanks for having us, Ryan. I hope that we have a similar chat in the future when we release our next song, which will also be really out there, so something different and. Um, Yeah, I hope that inspires you to want to talk to us again.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.